Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, November the 19th, 2019. This is episode 2550. We're calling today's episode a Tuesday Chat with Jack. Let me start out with, if you are new to this show, and this was the first episode you turned into, you might like it, eh, you might not. If you're looking for something more independence Prepper-related, you might want to check out the website, the survivalpodcast.com. Again, this is episode 2550. That means there's well over 2,500 episodes of everything you can think of. But I have been running this show now for 11 years. And those of you who have been here for any portion of that time know that every once in a while I kind of like to get everybody together and have a little chat about what's going on, what's on my mind. Uh, not so much let's grab one thing and dig into it, not a lot of current events or email feedback or calls or expert counsel, just, hey, it's me, the host of the show. This is what's going on in my head right now. These are some things I have planned, and yeah, here's how you can help me give me more of what you want. That's what today is going to be about. We'll dig into a bunch of different stuff here in just a minute. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one, today is RidgeWallet.com. When I was approached by a, a marketing rep for RidgeWallet, I wasn't sure about it. I wasn't sure it would really fit this audience. It's the survival podcast, not the hippie, uh, the, the, uh, what am like the hipster, hipster yuppie podcast, right? And it seemed like maybe that's the kind of product it was. He said, let me send you a couple. So I got this thing and I looked at it and I said, well, it prevents identity theft. That's nice. And it is minimalist. So I took all my crap out of my wallet and tried to fit it in there. It didn't all fit. I put everything that fit in there reasonably in it and I put it in my pocket and I started carrying it. I said, I'm going to do this for a month and see how I feel about it. That was well over two years ago now. We're in our third year and uh, I'm not looking back. My uh, my billfold has now been regulated to... Uh, you know, one of those things that goes in a box that one day maybe your grandkids or your great-grandkids will get. This was this was the old man's billfold type thing. It's now a, an, an artifact because uh, it's just a better technology and a better way to do things. If you check them out at RidgeWallet.com, you'll see why. And remember, you can get 10% off everything they sell at RidgeWallet, including some of their cool things like day packs, backup power, etc., uh, phone cases, all of it at RidgeWallet.com. Next up today is JM Bullion. That is your source for the precious metals we call silver and gold. One thing I've tried to do over the 11 years I've done this show is be consistent. And with silver and gold, my consistency is incredibly consistent. 5 to 10% of your net worth uh, amateurized over time into silver and gold as a wealth insurance policy. For a bunch of reasons. One, silver and gold have been around since the dawn of civilization, used as a form of money, and they've never been worth nothing. Uh, they have that assurance where just about every currency in history, sooner or later, has failed. That doesn't mean all the ones that are out now will fail, but history is shown to be a strong indicator of future results in the words of a mutual fund advertisement. Next up, they are anonymous forms of wealth. It can be transferred from one person to the other just by handing it over and keep it between me, you, and the fence posts, as we say down here in Texas. Then, if you're going to be buying silver and gold, why not buy from the company that supported this show for, God, I guess seven years now? It gives you free shipping and gives you an, a discount if you're an MSB member. That's JM Bullion. The pricing that already starts out better than the big silver houses like Monix and Atmex, etc., uh, great personal level service. And if there ever is a problem, I can get directly in touch with the president. 
Uh, that's kind of my standard for someone to be a sponsor of this show. JM Bullion has not just met it, they've exceeded it consistently for seven years now. Check them out today at jambullion.com. With that, let's kind of dig into this kind of let's go all around and everywhere type show today. Uh, one reason I'm doing this, just by the way, is yesterday, like I said, I just did not feel on the game. And sometimes when I go away for a while, I come back and I'm like on fire with new content. And sometimes I just, you know, it's kind of like you take a break from something, you need to get back in it. And, you know, the first week back, I fought through a bad voice, but it didn't seem that off. But it seems like yesterday, I just... I just couldn't get it going. So I'm I'm hoping that kind of just having a chat will get me back on the top of my game. Little heads up, if you hear any banging around or anything in the background, my neighbors, my newest neighbors who have bought the property to my west and north, um, ha- are out discovering the geology of the place. Yes, as you guys have listened a long time, know that uh, I live on a rock slab, and my neighbors don't live far enough away to not live on a slab of rock, too. And they have an excavator out there. I don't know what they're doing, but they are coming to a new understanding of what rock means. So if you hear any banging, bumbling, or something like that in the background, that's what's going on today. Let's start out with a quote of the day today. Um, I'm going to quote a guy that we probably should maybe dump day do a show on. Fascinating person from American history, Horace Greeley. Horace Greeley is the the believed origin of the first person to make famous the phrase, go west, young man. He had a bunch of different ways that he put that. One way was, go west, young man, go west. There is health in the country and room away from our crowds of idlers and imbeciles. And there were some other things that go west, young man, got paired with. Go, go, Horace Greeley was a publisher. It was a lot of things, but one of the things he was as a publisher, and that's where this came from. It also got grabbed onto this Go West Young Man meme. It was a meme of the day in the 1800s with the concept of manifest destiny, that it was our destiny to spread as a nation, as a new nation being birthed from the Atlantic to the Pacific Ocean. So good and bad was done with it. However, I think this is one of those statements that most people don't understand the crux of. And it's something that we're going to talk about today uh, a little bit down in the bullets points list, and that's opportunity. Horace Greeley did not say go west, young man, because he believed that west was in just a general a good place to head. Like west was, yeah, you know, west. You go one of four ways, west is the best. That wasn't how it worked. The country was largely undeveloped in the west. And there was definitely a move to get people to go settle it so that we could, you know, live out this concept of manifest destiny. But what Greeley was talking about as a person that saw opportunity for what it was is here's where the opportunity is. You know, if we, if we looked at the time, it had been hundreds of years since the first settlements on the East Coast. And the most development was on the East Coast of the United States. The, the same cities today, that you know, from, from what we call Florida today up to Maine, the same cities that are the biggest cities today were the biggest cities of the time. They were nothing compared to what they were today, but they were mostly coastal or river-based cities because that's how stuff got moved around. And there was a lot of entrenched organizations, a lot of entrenched businesses. There was, you know, there wasn't a tremendous opportunity as it compared to taking the risk of going somewhere where you could be the first to do whatever you wanted to do. Even if somebody was already doing it in the West, the West was a big place. So you could find a place where maybe people were just starting to develop things, where that thing didn't exist, and you could go there and be the first person to do it. Or you might even come up with something no one had come up with yet. 
And there was a lack of regulation. There was a lack of control. The wild, wild west, so to say. And that meant it was basically a libertarian utopia. It really, in some ways, not always, but in some ways it was. You could go out and make whatever you wanted to make for yourself. You could go out and start a damn town if you wanted to. You really could. And that's what Greeley was saying, is go where the opportunity is. Not where the crowds are that have already determined their course, but where the few are, where the pioneers are headed, so that you might chart a course with them. There is wisdom of that even today. There are ways to go west, young man, directly and metaphorically. I think for some people, you need to leave the place you grew up in if you are to become what you have the potential to become. I know I did. More on that later. But you don't have to go necessarily geographically in the modern day to go west. You can go where no one has gone before or go where no one is doing it quite the right way with technology. There has never been a better time to seek, find, and capitalize on, on, on opportunity as there is today. We'll save that for more in a bit. I'm going to go ahead and talk about something I've largely not spoken of. I think since Donald Trump became president, if I've mentioned his name on the air a dozen times, that would be um, excessive. It's probably more than I have. But, of course, one of the biggest stories in the media right now and I call it the biggest non-story in existence, is the impeachment hearings. Um, there could not be a bigger waste of time, in my personal opinion, in sitting down and watching the impeachment uh, proceedings, because this is, the, this is the three camps that you'll be in if you watch the impeachment hearings. If you hate Donald Trump, they will absolutely validate everything that you think about Donald Trump, no matter what the people say. It will prove that you're right. If you are a Trumpian, you love Trump, and you think he's really making America great again, the only thing that you will come away from was Trump was right, and it's a witch hunt. And no matter what you believe, you're going to be in one of those two camps if you actually have a dog in the, in the hunt here. And then if you're a free-thinking, open-minded individual that doesn't practice modern political tribalism, you are going to come away from this very, very quickly bored. Absolutely bored. You will quickly ascertain that the people testifying are just restating the same bullshit over and over again, and either you do or do not believe that constitutes an impeachable offense. There's nothing being said that will change your mind about the underlying facts, which are pretty simple. If you've noticed right now, I haven't even given you my opinion, and I'm not going to because it doesn't matter. I'm going to give you the weather forecaster version of this. In other words... Here is the front moving in. This is the storms that it will spawn, and this is what's going to happen. Now, if I'm doing that as a weather forecaster and I really hate tornadoes, I'm still telling you about a tornado if they show up. If I am doing that as a weather forecaster and I really feel good about sunny, shiny, beautiful days, I'm still telling you they're not coming if they're not coming. Or I'm still telling you they're coming if they are. My opinion does not affect my forecast if I'm doing my job. Just so we understand each other. So here is what will come of the Trump impeachment hearings. Eventually, the Democrats will get done with their bullshit. They will call a vote, and they will impeach Trump in the House, which will mean the absolute square root of F all. They will do this before the Christmas break, at which time they will have to deal with something that Trump is doing a really good job. Whether you like him or not, he's doing a really good job at pushing the issue of the USMCA Treaty, which replaces NAFTA between Canada, Mexico, and the United States. This overall 
It's not necessarily a great thing for America, but it's a hell of a lot better than NAFTA. And Pelosi is going to have to pick this up and have to vote on it. Have to. And it has a shitload of support within her own caucus of Democrats and almost unilateral Republican support. Hence, it's going to pass and get ratified. So what we're going to come out of this with is the House voting to impeach Trump, which doesn't mean anything, and Trump getting a victory. Even after impeaching me, they had to do this. This is my deal. I put it together. He's going to spin that. It's going to go to the Senate where absolutely nothing will come of it. I doubt that Trump will even be censured for this, which means nothing even if he is. And we will go into campaign season with the Democrat clown show known as the primary election with nobody having a clear, concise message other than free shit for everybody. Whoever gets the nomination by the Democrats is going to get killed. Killed by Donald Trump in the coming election. Absent. One. There is something inside all of this shit or something new comes up that is actually scandalous that really, really, like even Trump's ardent supporters go, <clears throat> yeah, no, that's not okay. Which you, you got to wonder what that would be at this point. Right? Banging poor stars, what, paying them off. I don't know. No one cares. Things that would have been political suicide in the 1980s, just no one cares about today. Right? So it would have to be really, really bad. Or by some freakish thing, our economy slides into a heavy, hard recession. That is the only way you do not get President Trump reelected in 2020. Those two things. The first one is highly unlikely, and the second one is pretty unlikely. It's possible. This country is due for a recession. I would say we, in fact, are overdue for a recession just due to the cyclical nature of the economy. However, so much fuel has been poured on. And I actually think this, this long-delayed deal with China, there may be some backdoor on this that's like, yeah, let's do this deal after Christmas. Let's do this deal after Christmas. You know, take your time, China. Take your time. Let's do this deal after Christmas. Why? Because the fever of impeachment will be gone. And then you got USMCA deal, done. Then you get the China deal, done. And then the economy takes off even more erratically and illogically than it already has. Then you get a booming economy. You get a reelected Donald Trump. What does this all mean for you? Nothing. Nothing. Not a damn thing. I have been a grown-ass man during the Reagan administration, the Bush administration, the Clinton administration, the other Bush administration, the Obama administration, and now the Trump administration. That's six presidents. I, I fairly well remember Carter and Ford. And, and I remember the Nixon transition a little bit. Not a huge deal. And, you know, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Since I was old enough to start taking care of myself and living on my own, which for me is was, was young, um, I moved out on my own when I was 16 years old. Actually, it was a couple weeks before my 16th birthday. Maybe that's why I'm a little bit different than most people. Well, I did that because I had to for personal preservation. And I can tell you that at that time, I didn't have time to give a shit who the president was. And between then and now, there are times when I've been really happy about who was the president and who won the election and how I've been unhappy about it. There's also been times in between where I was so busy worried about building my life 
that even though I knew who the president was, because I'm not completely unaware like a clown, I really didn't have time to give a shit. I was too busy focused on building my own life to worry about who was president or who was the Speaker of the House or who was the Senate Majority Leader or any of that shit. I just didn't care. And I'm going to tell you when I got the most done in my life and was the happiest as a human being. When I didn't give a shit. When I didn't give a shit. And when I started this show, I had, I had kind of re-entered the phase of not giving a shit, but I still cared some. I was the guy that was going to vote third party to, to prove a point. And I would say, like, for the last four years, I have totally not given a shit who was president at all, even a little bit. I've analyzed what it might mean, weather forecaster style, and what you should do about it. But in general, I've decided it's very simple. One of Spirico's laws of life is every single power granted to the state will be used with corruption and with incompetence. That's a constant. So it doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter who's running the Congress. It doesn't matter who's running the Senate. That's what you get from government. And so the best course of action for you, instead of believing your, your vote is going to fix things, when mathematically we know you're more likely to die, you go to vote in November, get in your car and you drive to the election. You are more likely to die in your car on the way to the polls or home than you are to influence even the election for dog catcher in your district. Yes, there's a few votes here and there that have come down to one person, But if we work it out that way, it's about, well, your odds of winning the lottery are higher. Now, I don't think you should base your, your life on the fact that you're going to win the lottery someday. So I don't think you should do that based on your vote deciding an election. Even if it does, it's not going to change your life. So consider this when it comes to impeachment. My one time to speak on the issue, and I'm done. That's it. It's over. That's my forecast, not even my opinion. I haven't given you my opinion, should Donald Trump be impeached or not, because it doesn't matter what my opinion is. It honestly doesn't matter what your opinion is. What I just told you is going to happen, absent some left field you know, fastball coming in that we don't see, is what's going to happen. So then the best thing you can do is begin to design your life based on that being the most likely probability. And that's how I think we should really view this stuff. Now let's change course. I know I've been talking a lot about hydroponics lately uh, because I, I explained that in the second show on it. It's what I do. I develop temporary obsessions. And temporary obsessions that are then followed through on. So I don't, I don't develop a temporary obsession on let's get a lot of information about this. It's let's get a lot of information about this and implement it. And then it either goes into the file cabinet as something I can do if I need to, Or it's something that's integrated into my life in a way that I don't have to obsess about it anymore. That's one of the things I like about hydroponics. That once you get a system set up, you just harvest and plant. And it's one of the most carefree systems you can have. If you set up a hydro system the right way, you should be able to go on vacation for two weeks and come back and everything should be better than when you left. And no one should have to touch it. I love that. Well, I've been thinking about this more and more along with my total vision for my greenhouse or the incorporation of hydroponics into it. And this is where I'm at now. I just thought you guys might find this interesting. Number one, my plan for the greenhouse this year is to rip out all the aquaponic shit because the system that we built just is too big for the greenhouse. It really is. It makes the greenhouse not really a greenhouse. It makes it a building around some tanks. 
And it makes everything that I've tried to do difficult because the system's too high. And that's because, well, the same thing I told you about my neighbor and their excavator. Digging a hole here three or four foot deep, it's not going to happen. That means my sump's too high. And the whole way we built the system was a really great experiment, and we learned a lot from it. And like I said, it spawned a lot of other systems. And the gear that I built my system on will probably go somewhere else and serve somebody else well for a very, very long time. Because it's a good system. It just doesn't fit the application well anymore. So my big thing is I want that greenhouse first just cleaned out. So my first thing is to shovel all of the lava rock out of two fifty gallon ebb and flow beds. Figure out what that material is going to do. And get the tanks drained and get the two IBCs out of there. That's a chore. Once that's done, though, I have a clean slate. And my plan is to insulate the parts of the greenhouse that are solid walls, which is probably 70%. We were really smart about the way we built it. We built the two side walls of wood um, with a couple windows in it. And we built the whole black back wall as, uh, you know, siding. And we built, oh, the first two to three feet of the front facing south with siding. And then we have greenhouse panels going the rest of the way up the front and all across the roof because the way the sun hits it's never going to come in at an angle lower than those about two and a half feet that we 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 walled in so we have a lot of insulative uh capacity there we just didn't insulate it we got a rush and we built this thing it was like a hey we should do this and the buddy that helped me do it you know redirected a construction crew that's normally you know billing tens of thousands of dollars a day to do it so we rushed it um we'll get that insulation done And what I'm planning now is a rather extensive hydro system running on a single small pump. And I've kind of talked about this before, but what I'm seeing now is the back wall of that greenhouse is 12 feet. And then the two side walls come out to the doors. And they come out about 6 feet to the doors. Let's call it 5. So you've got 12 feet across the back wall and another 10 feet. So that's 22 feet. And I think with you know having more space between the levels than you need, but not trying to cramp it and get stupid, um, that means we can do 66 feet. 22 times 3, 66 feet of pipe that kind of wraps around the back wall. And the top one overflows to the middle one, overflows to the bottom one, goes back in the sump. What I started thinking about is kind of a combination of conventional hydro that uses a pump or an air pump, and Kratky. Kratky, of course, is what we've been talking about, where the plants grow. Um, as the water level drops, the roots can then have air, plus they can still reach the affluent. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to design these pipes where they hold enough water that if I shut off the pump, because there will be a pump, if I shut the pump off, the plants have plenty of water. They're not going to dry out. They're going to be fine for maybe a couple days. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to set that pump to run for like an hour at a time, four times, five times, six times a day, whatever works best. Just a little simple timer, a little $10 timer, push down the pegs so that it's not constantly running. So it drastically decreases the amount of energy required. And you still have a system that could run on a battery bank for quite a long time on that kind of a schedule with a 100-watt solar panel. So if you go off-grid, really, really easy. The sump, I haven't decided what I'm going to make the sump out of yet, but it's going to be a, a reasonable capacity, but very low container, so I can keep it low enough. 
And so that's the basic plan for the greenhouse right now. I think there will be some other things going on in there. Um, it will When I do what I just described, it will take up almost no space in a 12 by 12 structure. Almost no space at all. That's all on the walls. You know, a four-inch pipe coming four-inch off the studs. And that leaves the whole rest of it, except wherever the sump sits, which will be relatively small footprint, wide open to just be a regular greenhouse. Will there be other hydro things in there and stuff? Probably. I don't know. But that's the plan for the greenhouse. I think it's just going to work a lot better for me. Um, next, I want to talk to you a little bit about my aviary as well. So we built the aviary with a nine-foot back wall. And it kind of comes like a half lean-to style with cattle panels over the front if you haven't seen it. So it's a, it's a big structure. It's about 12 feet wide, 50 feet long. And originally, it was a quail system. And it just turns out my wife won't eat quail. And I don't want to do all the work to raise and butcher quail if my wife's not going to eat them. And we get enough duck eggs that the quail eggs are kind of a novelty. So I just don't see quail in there anymore. And I've started moving more and more toward doing some things on my property, property solely for me. Solely for just my happiness, my entertainment. And so what I'm going to do with that aviary is all of the grow beds that are in there that are up on platforms, I've said this before, are going to the ground. And that's going to open up a lot more space. But I'm going to be putting a pond in there. A uh, pond will be about six foot wide by 12 feet long, rectangular, and only about a foot deep. And we'll have some sort of a waterfall going on. Again, this will be able to run in a very small pump, just enough to keep the water moving. And I'm going to set that up so that things like toads and frogs can easily get in and out of that pond. I'm going to build a little bridge over it. The other things going in there are birdies. In this case, java sparrows and zebra finches. I'm building myself a, a, a giant... Happy bird cage, happy bird in herpetorium uh, aviary. Uh, I might throw some green snakes in there. I'll definitely put some fence lizards and some skinks and stuff like that in there. And just let it be what it is. And it's all going to be, well, except for the birds, native species. So if we end up with, like, toad apocalypse, they're just, you know, southern toads. I just let them go. If we end up with a, an abundance of leopard frogs, we just put them in my other ponds and let them... Be part of the ecosystem that is the whole property. And so my hope is between the greenhouse and the aviary and my, my practice of shading the aviary with 60% shade cloth in the heat of the summer, that all year long, whether it's the warmth of the greenhouse or the coolness of the aviary and your nice warm winter days as well, because we get a lot of those down here, that I can just go out there and have this little solitude. And I encourage you with all your homesteading activities, because over these years of being here, I've done a lot of really cool things here, but I didn't build enough lifestyle quotient into it from the standpoint of just being happy. Design more happiness into your life. Permaculture can do a lot of things to feed us, but can also just do a lot of things to entertain us and make us happy. Um, I also want to talk about my book. I've started quite a number of books over the years that remained incomplete. I'll give you a confession. I I don't like writing. I'm good at it, but I don't like it. It's work. And much like my life follows obsessions, my, my writing follows obsessions. So if I can write an article, that's fine. Because I can get obsessed about something and power through an article and then publish it and that's fine. Because writing a book, you're talking about a multi-month endeavor. 
for me to obtain a, an obsession for that long is difficult. Well, I'll let you know. I have finally finished all 16 chapters of Jack's Laws of Life. Now, you might say, well, Jack, you, you originally talked about this with 30 Laws of Life. What happened to the other you know, 14 laws? They still exist. Uh, they, with a couple more, may end up being uh, the next round of book. Or they may not. We'll see on how the first book goes. But it's over 60,000 words with 16 laws. And I have two things left to do. The introduction, which is probably two to three pages, and the conclusion, which will probably be two to three pages. But the book itself, it's not edited yet, but it's done. And I mean done to the point where I've started and I've read it all the way, read all my writing all the way through and made all the revisions to the point where once I do the intro and the conclusion, I'll do that one more time and hand it over to an editor. So that means we should get this thing launched sometime in the spring, maybe March, April of 2020, 2020. And I want to let you guys know about something that I'm going to be doing to try to make that book a springboarded success. It's going to be called an ambassador program. And that means if you'd like to be mentioned in that book as one of the ambassadors of getting the word of the book out, you'll have an opportunity to do that. And I don't know exactly what it's going to be yet, but I think the minimum level of participation is going to be you agree to buy 10 copies of the book and mail at least nine of them to friends, family, whatever. And you agree to do it on the day the book launches on Amazon in individual orders so that we can bang into the Amazon bestseller list with a book bomb. Because if I just have you buy 10 copies and hand them out, well, Amazon is going to be like, no, that doesn't work for that. They won't count all the sales. But if each book ships to an independent person, they do. So we're going to game that system together in a, a proactive way, and that'll get this message out. And I want to tell you a little bit about who I think this book's for, and it ties into my next bullet point, which is why there's really more opportunity today than there has ever been in history. This book's for everybody. It really is. It's for anybody that wants to build more resiliency and success and have a better design life. That's who this book is for. There's nobody from a 17-year-old to a 70-year-old that will not benefit from reading this book. And I'm going to sell it as cheaply as I can and make a profit. So I'm going to make it as affordable as possible. But if there's a segment of society that needs this book, it's probably 15 to 35 that needs this book. Because they still have the majority of their life ahead of them. And that segment of society right now has greatly lost faith and they have convinced themselves that it's harder for them than it was for their parents and grandparents. In a word, bullshit. The opportunities of today exceed the opportunities of Go West Young Man with Horace Greeley or any time in history. You can literally build a business from a closet in 2019. You can. You can go into any line of business you want. You can come up with a widget, have some chop shop in China make it, push it through, you know, your supply line through Alibaba, have a website up with drop shipping in a week, and be in a business selling a product if that's what you want to do. In a week. There are people that are making a decent living buying pallets of returned items from Amazon and selling them as used items on Amazon. If you are not 
pursue, I wouldn't say if you're not successful, if you're not pursuing success right now, you don't want it. You don't want it. You just are not trying to be successful if you're not chasing it. If you're waiting for some opportunity, you're missing the, the concept of creating an opportunity. And there's so many places you can do that today. My book does point out some opportunities because having concrete examples is a good idea. It helps people think. But really, what the Laws of Life book teaches is how to think, how to do a critical and logical evaluation, how to catch yourself when you're bullshitting yourself. And if you want the opportunity to be listed in this book, I will be putting out a formal program in a couple months next year. But go, you can go ahead and let me know if you want to gauge the you know the concept of, of how of how well this will work. So the thing is, I'm going to have to put faith in people because you're not going to be able to fulfill your obligation until the launch date of the book, where people can actually order it. By then, the book has already been finalized and printed, and your name's in it. So I don't know. Maybe we'll make a hall of shame on the website because of the book for anybody that cheats, or you know, maybe we'll just follow the credo. And the book would be: don't worry about those people. Don't worry about it. somebody wants to game the system that bad. Let them do it. What I've learned in the years with this community, and my wife and I talk about this all the time, having done you know a couple dozen workshops at this point, the people that come here, best people you'll ever meet. The best people you'll ever meet. Amazing people. We've never had anything stolen. We do have a problem with people that can't understand the concept of don't turn water valves and don't unplug things. That's like the only problem that we've had. So I am going to trust in this community when I run that program, and I'd love you to be part of it. And uh, so you might want to just start thinking, like, if you want to be part of it, like, can you make a list of 10 people that you think could benefit from Spirko's Laws of Life? And benefit from the concept of stop telling yourself you don't have opportunity and start seeing the opportunities that you have. Because I really do believe that. Like one of the things I talk about in the book is a girl that I ran into in North Carolina a few years ago. When we uh, years ago, years ago, my wife and I went on vacation, and when we went to dinner, we took an Uber even though we had a rental car. We did that because our hotel was a couple of miles from downtown, and it didn't cost a lot of money. And that way, we could have—you know—we're on vacation. We'd have three drinks with dinner and not drive and not be a risk to anybody and not risk going to jail while you're on vacation. I don't screw a vacation up. We met this girl, and I always talk to people doing Uber and Lyft because I'm always wondering, like, well, how does this work for you? Because I hear all the bullshit online, like you do, about how they don't make any money, and like I haven't talked to any of them who've been doing it for more than a couple weeks that are saying, I, I don't make any money because they, they quit if they don't make any money. That's how that works. Um, but this gal, she'd been doing it about nine months. And I'm like, so, how, if you, you know, have you, did you grow up in Asheville? She's like, no. I'm like, well, did you move here? Or when? And she's, well, I'm, I'm kind of moving around a lot right now. Like, oh, really? Tell me more. She'd been there like three weeks. She was going to stay about another three weeks. She had mapped out across the whole United States a plan of two and a half years of all the places she wanted to visit and go to and live in. And all she would do when she would move is transfer her Uber and Lyft credentials 
And she used Airbnb to find inexpensive places to live. So she wasn't living it up like at the Ritz-Carlton or something. And she wasn't renting like a five-bedroom house. She was like, because on Airbnb you can find everything from, hey, you know, rent this house to like rent a room. So she was finding affordable accommodations with Airbnb and hustling her way across the United States. And I was like, so does it pay all your bills? She said, well, since I started doing this, I paid off all my student loan debt. And now I'm saving money. Every single month when I go to a new place, I have more money than when I got here. And when I'm done with this trip, I'm going to decide out of all these places I've been, which one do I want to live in? And I was like, well, have you been to any that you've really considered? She goes, yeah, you know I have. But the first place I felt that way about, after I went to three more, one of those became that place. And I just don't know until I complete this journey where that place is going to be. Okay. For those of you that tell me you don't have the opportunity that your parents or grandparents had, how the hell could I have done that when I was freaking 23 like this girl was? What, 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 what was in place? And the answer is, I could have went like working like a hobo doing odd jobs, but a structured program where my reputation went with me like Uber or Lyft. And the ability to find and know exactly what my housing expenses were going to be before I got there for short-term housing didn't even exist. That's one opportunity. So you can dream about being a broke-ass kid backpacking across Europe and living like a vagabond. Or you can hustle across your own great nation and find an opportunity while you're exercising an opportunity. There's never been a better time. My book uncovers Tons of things like that. So think about who you might want to share that with. And I'll tell you what's cool about it. Instead of telling somebody about it, if you buy somebody a book and send them a copy, I would say that odds that they'll read it are 50-50. So if you do my ambassador program, at least five people are probably going to read and get that message. And even if they don't ever want to hear from me again, if it does one thing to make their life better, you've given that gift and you've helped me do that for one more person, which is what this has always been about. Um... On the opportunity thing, I wanted to talk about something I saw on, on Facebook recently. And what I've called it my bullet point is the opportunity of a shitty paying entry-level job when you see it the right way. So there was a picture of a really big greenhouse. And it was like a greenhouse warehouse conversion thing. And I, it said York County, which probably is Pennsylvania, but there, I guess there's a lot of York counties. I didn't even read it. I just kind of looked at it. And, and the guy that posted it said, might be an opportunity for some, but he also made a comment that the, the pay was shitty. It's shitty pay, hard work. And I looked at that. And this was uh, a hydroponics growing operation, whether they were growing vegetables like a farm or the sacred herb or hops like we talked about recently or whatever. Whatever they were growing, it was hydro. And I was thinking, wow. So it doesn't pay that great. So it means if you can tie your shoes and show up on time and not get into a fight while you're at work, you can probably get a job there. And not everybody in that place is paid shitty because if you, if you do that, you can't get anybody to run the thing. So there's a direct opportunity that we've always seen with employment, which is, yeah, you come in in a shitty position, but if you work hard, pay your dues in advance, you can move up in a company. But God, that's a short-sighted view of that opportunity. What about the idea that you could get paid to learn the ins and outs of a commercial hydroponics farm? And then what does that do for you? And if you get good at what I call creative resume writing, 
which means that you do as many things as you can, and then you take the most impressive ones and put those on your resume, so that when you say you can do something, you know, you actually can. But it doesn't mean that that's what you, you know, you write your resume like 90% of what you did is these things. They might only be 10% of what you did. But that's how you sell yourself to the next opportunity. So there's that. There's also getting the relevant experience and then putting in for an agricultural small business loan and developing your own hydroponics farm of some sort in the future. There's the concept of actually just meeting people in a supply chain and learning from that. There's learning the industry of agriculture. I could just keep going. But the fact that you could go get a job that pays enough to at least live on, even if it's a bottom-level existence, and learn all that shit is a pretty big opportunity. And I wonder how many opportunities like that are out there. I mean, I haven't looked for a job since my 20s. I really have. I haven't looked for a job since my 20s. I've been headhunted. I've made decisions about changing careers. I formed a podcast. I built businesses. But I haven't, like... Been like the guy that's like, I need a job. I got to find a job. Since my early 20s, I have no idea what's available out there, but I got to believe there's probably a lot of opportunities like this one where you can go and actually learn something. Because one of uh, the things that would probably make it into a book two on laws of life is a quote from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, where Rich Dad tells Robert, never take a job for what it pays. Take it for what you can learn. You do that long enough and you get really good paying jobs, by the way. The money eventually takes care of itself. But really, if you're taking a job, you're trading your time for money, you should be getting more than money out of it. You should be getting knowledge. And, and my view is, and this is in the book, by the way, when you've learned all you can from a job, and for the foreseeable future, you've maxed out how much money you can make, start looking to move over to move up. In other words, go somewhere else. That doesn't mean quit your job. But, man, put the periscope up and see what's available and try to market and sell yourself into a better position where you can learn something more or earn something more or ideally both. But what I said in a comment about this thing about paying shitty is, you know, there was a time I was making over $160,000 a year as a base salary. And I had a bonus structure on top of it. And I took a job for $45,000 a year. In internet marketing. And it didn't have a lot of upward mobility in it. It didn't have a lot of upward mobility in it because I was basically running the internet marketing department for a, a small company. But I sold myself into that opportunity because of what I knew. And even though I wanted to learn from others, on the big picture from a marketing perspective and a technology perspective, I knew more than any single person they had working for them. I had a marketing team to work with. But the people that knew more than me knew more than me about a piece of it. I had the holistic knowledge to take a management position paying jack diddly shit because that's just how this company paid. So why did I do it? Because for the next year, I spent my time working with people who did nothing but market services and products on the Internet. And I spent my time talking to customers about how they wanted their products and service marketed. Uh, marketed. And I got into all these different niches to understand where the technology was at the time. And a year into it, I was back to a six-figure income as the director of Internet marketing for a telecom firm. 
Why? Because that was the plan all along. That was the plan all along. So when I say sometimes the opportunity is in taking a shitty income, and you might even say, well, Jack, 45 grand a year is not a bad income. When you've earned over $100,000 a year for a decade, it is. That's a serious pay cut. When you have other companies saying, uh, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to get you to come work for us? And you say, no, I'm going to go do this thing. It's, it's a shitty income comparatively. When you have a kid in high school in a house, and you've been living on a better income, and you have to tell your wife, I'm doing this for our future, and I'm taking this backward step, it's a big cut. I'm telling you that if you gave me the opportunities that exist for kids today, when I was 18, and had I understood them, I would have grabbed onto some of them so tightly that the only way you could have separated me from them would have been with a couple sticks of dynamite. The idea that you could learn everything there is to know about hydroponic farming and get paid. <sighs> yeah, I'd take that shot if I was 18. Or the idea that you could hustle your way across the country giving people rides and delivering Amazon packages. Yeah. Or dog-sitting, for God's sakes. Rover.com. Man, the opportunities. And sometimes it is an entry-level job that's an opportunity. If it's going to teach you something, there's a big difference between an entry-level job on a farm and an entry-level job at a fast food place. Unless you want to run a fast food franchise someday, the entry-level job at a fast food place is maybe some scholarship money with the right company and a paycheck until you find something else to do. But a farm, if you want to have a career in agriculture, is an entire new understanding and an understanding of the business operations behind it. Because even if that's not your job, what I have found, especially when you work for companies that are relatively flat organizations, if you're willing to invest your time when you're off the clock to learn more, nobody gets upset about it. People are okay with that. You can't screw off doing things that are not what you're being paid for on the clock. But if you're like, hey, can I help out after hours? We don't have any overtime. Oh, that's... That's not what I'm looking for. I want to learn more. Man, if you find an opportunity and you, you offer that and you're shot down, go find one that looks just like it somewhere else. Two out of, you know, one out of those two is going to say yes to that. And again, that's either a ramp up in the organization itself or it's enough knowledge and skill set to go out and do your own thing. So much today. Ah, totally. Let's make it left turn, right? And go completely in the opposite direction here. Do uh, a little uh, bootleggers turn and go all the way around 180. Um, I think that if you cook for a lot of people after having recently bought one, you need a thing called a, bra a Blackstone griddle in your life. I bought one because uh, my CPA said I can figure out how to deduct it. I love tax-deductible things um, for the fall workshop. And I bought the big four-burner kind of like one step from the best thing they make level. It seemed like the best blend of quality and value. Basically, the body of mine's not stainless steel, but from a performance level, it's the best they make. And I didn't need to pay $100 more for my body to be stainless steel. I like black. It's easy to clean, by the way. It's easy to keep looking clean. So I got one of these things, 
And it showed up on Monday, and we got the workshop, of course, starting Wednesday. So Nick Ferguson and I put it together. It was actually really easy to put together compared to the uh, the heater we bought. We bought one of these propane heaters with like a glass tube and a flame in the middle of it to keep people warm in the, in the workshop because um, it was pretty cold. We put it together, and I had to season it. I seasoned it with flaxseed oil, a couple coats of that, heat, smoke, do it again. Uh, then I started cooking some sausage and stuff on it. And by the time we got like to, to the, the, the welcome day of the workshop, I was cooking sausages on it and all, it was pretty well seasoned. Now it's slick as a baby's butt. And holy crap. You talk about something that changes the dynamic of how much food you can cook and how fast you can cook it. I mean, this is like having a restaurant-quality griddle on your back porch. They're a little spendy. And, but they do make a tabletop version. I'll put links in the show notes today where you can check this thing out. But, man, I'm not going to say a bunch more about it. Just to say, having that big, huge, thick, heavy griddle surface, I can cook for 20 freaking people in one shot. And last night, I just made like a simple stir-fry for my wife and me. It was... Uh, Some pak choy and some uh, white asparagus and some broccoli and some actually some leftover meat from the workshop. And it was so dead, easy, simple, and fast. The, I would say the only thing that, that takes time with a Blackstone, because that griddle surface is so thick and heavy, is the initial heat up. It takes a while to get hot. Once that thing gets hot, brother, I think that if you've been thinking about yourself like self, What do I want to give myself for Christmas? Or if you're a really nice person, what do I want to give some other stuff for Christmas? Look at the Blackstone griddle. It's not an item of the day yet. It will be soon. But it's definitely something to take a look at and just a fun thing to let you know what's going on in the Spearco household. Uh, next up, I've had some emails and questions about this because I've, I've muttered about it on social media for years. And I've muttered this year that I'm probably going to do it for real. Yes. And while this is not my official announcement because that will come in 2020, I, Jack Spirico, am going to run for president in 2020. It's totally a little publicity stunt. How far it goes, who knows. But I'm going to run for president, and I'm going to channel Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor. Not that what I'm going to do is going to be funny, but it's based on a Richard Pryor movie. Many of you are too young to probably remember this movie, It's not something that they put on TV a lot. I wonder why. As, you know, like old movies that get recycled. I've, like, I don't know that I've seen this movie since, like, the late 80s, early 90s on, like, Showtime and stuff like that. Ran it as kind of like a rerun movie. It was called Brewster's Millions. And in Brewster's Millions, Richard Pryor plays a character, and he is the sole heir of an old rich white man. He's the last guy that's left. And his, his life is just a shambles. I don't remember all the particulars. I need to watch that again. But the old man, when he hears about this being his only heir, is like, man, if I give this guy the money, he's just going to destroy himself. And he's going to just waste it all. And the old man's worth about $300 million. And again, this is like 80-something, like early, like prior to 1985, right? Richard Pryor, prior to 85. And so three, uh, $30 million. You know, in the 80s is probably 150 million a day. And, and what can, you can do with it. So he makes Richard a deal. Now he's dead by the time he makes this deal. This is all done, you know, post death through, um, his lawyers, which 
are all vying to end up getting the money by having him fail in the bet. And there's, there's two options he has. Option one, take $3 million dollars and let the rest of this money go to some sort of conservatory or something. And not, uh, again, his lawyers are like scumbags who are actually going to steal the money, $297 million of it. Option two, you get $30 million dollars and you get 30 days to spend it. If you can spend $30 million dollars in 30 days and have zero to show for it, you have to be penniless at the end of those 30 days, you get the, the $300 million. Because it was like $330 million or something was actually the amount of money he had. So you walk away with $300 million. But if you do that, I believe that you will now know the value of money. So he wants him to piss away $30 million to prove that he's worthy of $300 million. Kind of stupid, but it made a good movie. Well, during this, you know, about halfway into it, I got to tell you, one of the really... No, nah, I don't want to do it, because if you've never seen it, it'd be a spoiler. But... One of the things he realizes is, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get it all spent, and I'm going to end up with nothing. Because whatever he has left, they take away from him at the end of this, if he doesn't have, if he's not penniless. So he comes up with an idea he's going to run for the mayor of New York. Because that way he can spend all the money on his political campaign and lose. And he comes up with a slogan, don't vote for me. And he, 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 I mean, when he campaigns, he's, he's totally like a complete idiot about everything. And when they're like, well, why, why would we do that? I said not to vote for me. Well, funny thing is he almost wins. I will give you that spoiler alert there. Yeah, he almost wins. Done. And, but it was like, the idea was to dispose of a shitload of money and have nothing to show for it. Well, the political campaign. And that got me thinking. I don't have any money in play here. But what if I ran on a platform in 2020 of don't vote for me? And what I'm going to do is once a week from the first week in January up until election day week, I'm going to publish a video saying why you shouldn't vote for me. And I'm going to try to point out to the small number of Americans who will watch these videos and, and listen to them how unfree you are and how all the marketing slogans about how great we are tend to be bullshit. Now, let me explain something. I think this country is the greatest country on the planet right now to live in. I really do. I am not anti-America, but I'm anti-pro-America bullshit. And I think we can be a lot better than we are. When I worked for Fluke Networks, they bought all the competition except for one company, a company called Agilent. In fact, the way I ended up working for Fluke is they bought my company, and we were the biggest competitor they had. And I would go around, and I would talk to customers, and they would say, man, you know, Fluke used to be better. And you guys, and they knew who I was from another company, like, you guys were better. Now that you're together, you guys just don't give a shit about people anymore. You just don't care. Um, you don't make deals. You don't take care of customers anymore. And you know, I do everything I can. But they were right. There was a bureaucracy because we got to the point where our attitude was, not our attitude as the individuals, but the ownership's attitude was, you don't really have a choice. And when we bring this to their attention, they'd say, well, what are they going to do? Buy that shitty gray tester from Agilent? We're better than Agilent in every way. From a technology standpoint, 
from a sales rep network standpoint, from a, even though our warranties are not what they used to be, even though our customer service isn't what it used to be, we're better than Agilent. We can be shitty and make more money because it's easier. And, you know, my response is I don't really want my pitch to my customer to be is we're better than the other shitty company left in the industry. But that's where we were at. And I feel a lot of times with America today, the excuses made that like we're the best are like that. Well, we're better than. Well, I hope we're better than. But are we as good as we can be? So I might do like my first video of, you shouldn't vote for me because I will actually give you freedom and you don't want freedom. And then I'll list ways that you're not free and point out to Americans that they don't wish to be free. Don't vote for me because I actually will stop bombing foreign lands where nobody's a direct threat to us and killing children. And you don't want that because you want the defense industry funded because you want to believe that that person who could never find you if they tried is out to get you because you want to believe that it's okay, etc. So, you know, it'd be 40-odd videos like that, two minutes apiece. And my hope is that some media outlet somewhere actually reaches out to me and starts asking me serious questions. Like, well, how would this work? I'm like, I said not to vote for me. And it's totally a publicity stunt, but it is happening. I've, I've molded this idea for the past several elections, and I'm finally going to do it. And I would love for you guys to give me subjects to tell America, don't vote for me because I will blank, and you don't want that. And you don't want that. All right. Next up, we will be doing next year as well kind of a total reboot on the podcast of hard skills and prepper fundamentals. I feel we've gotten really philosophical over the years, and that's good. Because how you think is the biggest driver of what you do. But I think maybe sometimes we need to pull back and let's let's get really like hardcore. These are things that you should be able to do, and here's how to do them. Like hydroponics, we've done that lately, but I want to take some skills that we've talked about and bring in some new skills. And that's, that's kind of what you can look forward to in 2020, along with some shows that are let's back up and let's redo the fundamentals of prepping. You know, let's, let's redo the things that this show was built on over 11 years. Because if you're new and we're talking about things that are like, you know, graduate level and you're looking for that entry level stuff, sure, you can go back and listen to the old stuff, but it might be nice if we actually paid attention to new people once in a while. But the other thing is, man, this is back like when I used to play sports. No matter how good you got, no matter who good the team was, you had a bad game. You know what the coach said? This week we're working on what? Fundamentals. So fundamentals of hard skills and fundamentals of prepping will be coming hardcore, especially in the first quarter of 2020. Uh, not that we're not going to maybe do a little bit of that on the way out, but we are entering that time. Like next week is Thanksgiving week. We'll have a three-day week. We have a few weeks until Christmas, and then I have my shutdown from Christmas till, till January. But these are the things that I'll be working on. So what I want to know is, um, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? And I don't mean that like somebody like, what do you want from me? No, I mean, what do you want? Tell me. Tell me what you want from me. Tell me those hard skills. Tell me the, 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 the things about prepping you want me to go back to the bolts and the nuts and redo. Tell me what you want to know. Tell me what you want me to give you. And the way I put it is, I will do my best. I, I'm not going to say I'll do it because I don't know. You may ask for something that 
I can't do, or maybe I'll do what I think is a really great job, and you won't think it's like that great. I can never be sure that I will meet everybody's expectations because I'm an honest man, and honest men do not deal in bullshit. And so what I will say is if you guys tell me, and it makes sense, I'll do my best. I mean, if somebody is a smartass says, Jack, I want you to do a show on collecting Barbie dolls, it's probably not going to happen. Right, But if it's something that's anywhere in the realm of what we cover, have covered, should cover, in the realms of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty, we'll give a shot at it. And if I can't do it because I don't know, I'll go get a guest. I will absolutely go find a guest if I need to. But that is my conclusion today. I want you, if you think you have something of value to add to this community, and I don't care if you are a business person with something to promote or not. I don't care if you're just a guy that does something as a hobby, but you've gotten really good at it. If you think that you could get on the air with me for about an hour, have me ask some questions that you get to determine before I ask them, and give this audience some information that will make their lives a little bit better, make them a little bit more independent, a little bit more self-reliant, a little bit more of a lover of liberty, right? a little bit more self-sufficient. If you can help in any of those ways, if you can help them develop a hard skill or a soft skill, if you can help them find a way forward, if you can help them figure out how to capitalize on opportunity, if you can do any of that, we will consider you seriously as a guest. It's so simple. Go to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on a tab that says guests. There will be a form. Fill out the form and click submit. Let me tell you, we ask for a certain number of setup questions. If I get a form and you say, you can ask me anything you want, I will ask you absolutely nothing, and I will delete your form. And I will not send it on to Dorothy for booking because I don't know what you want to talk about. This is a pitch. And I've had people, I don't really understand it. I've had people in various different walks of life like that are like object to this idea. Well, I'm the subject matter expert. You should. I don't know what you know. And I'm looking at a form and making a decision whether you even validate, you're valid enough to, to, to research further based on your pitch. And your pitch to me is, ask me these questions. I'll ask you more. So my suggestion for some of you then, don't use your phone. It's a lot of typing. Um, and type up your, like go look at the form and type your setup questions in like Word or something. And then when you fill out the form, cut and paste it. It'll be much easier on you, and it'll give you more time to think. And you can send me as much information as you want. But when you send the form, just send the information the form asks for. And fill it all out. If you do have a business or a brand, make sure you include all your social media and stuff like that. I try to help people. Like if I bring you on the air, and you're giving my audience information and knowledge, if you do have a business, I, I feel obligated to give back to you. I want you to have what we call a like positive brand experience. So... When you have, when I have a guest on and you go look at the show notes and there's like, there's no Instagram or Facebook or whatever for them or whatever social media you use to stay in touch with people, it's because they didn't give me one. And I'll tell you a secret. A lot of times, I go out and find all that shit for the person. Like if they have a website, I go to their website and if they have all their social media linked there, I'll go pick it all up. I'm going to quit doing that. One of my resolutions for next year is to stop doing work that I shouldn't be doing. And If you're a guest and you don't care enough about the fact that I have 200,000 people listen to this show and some of them might become your lifelong followers if you give them a way to do that, then why should I? 
So I'm not being a dick there or anything, but like, I don't think asking you to provide me links to your social media is asking too much. And in return for me being able to put that out there for you and help you. So there you go on that. But if you think you can help in any way, fill out a guest form. I think we're pretty well booked through the end of the year right now. But I think that we're a pretty clean slate going into 2020. So that gives you an opportunity to be one of the first voices heard going into the 12th year of TSP. Pretty cool, huh? And again, what do you want from me? What do you want me to cover that I have not covered yet? Email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Make sure always when you email me, TSPC in the subject line. And I will do everything I can, as long as your request is reasonable, to bring you what you ask for. This show was developed by me initially, but I gave birth to an infant. This whole community raised this show into the mature show that it is. And I appreciate you guys. I want to say here at the end, thank you so much to every single one of you that supported me over the years. Whether that's just by listening or sharing my show with other people, sharing my content on social media, joining the member support brigade, buying from my sponsors, shopping through the T-SPAS links, etc. Any of you that have done anything to support this show over the years, thank you so much. My life is amazing. And sometimes I can be kind of a hard ass. Usually, usually when I think it's called for. Sometimes I'm a human, I'm fallible like any. But I never lose sight of the fact that you guys make this amazing life I live possible. And I thank you all for it. With that, we've wrapped up another episode. If you do enjoy this show and you want to help support us, there's two ways to do that. One is become a member, a member of the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members, and you get so many discounts, your membership will pay for itself at the rate of $50 a year. But the good news is we're on sale this week. I'm doing a pre-Thanksgiving Thanksgiving sale. So instead of doing a Thanksgiving sale, Thanksgiving week, when everybody should be doing things like hanging out with their family and you know shopping for Black Friday or whatever craziness is going on, uh, arguing with your friends over politics uh, or your family over politics at your one meal meal together or whatever it is you're going to do to ruin your Thanksgiving, I, I figure I don't need to be part of that. Uh, I'll run my turkey sale this week, and that's a discount code, turkey. And I almost spelled it, but I'm going to say again, if you can't spell turkey, you should figure that out before you join anyway. But if you sign up right now online uh, or using the mail-in form, you can write the code on the form, you get the Survival Podcast MSB for $30 a year. Again, the discounts will more than pay for it. You get every episode of the show ever done in convenient zip files. That's over 2,500 episodes now. And again, you'll support the show that you love. And I appreciate every one of you who have ever done that. If you've let your membership expire, a great time to renew and get that $30 rate. Uh, and again, that is not a $30 introductory rate. That rate locks in for life if you become a member during this show. All right. With that, uh, let's talk about our item of the day today at TSPAS. The other way to help support us is go to tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. You can see all the items I've reviewed there, but no matter what you buy, if you start your shopping there, you help us and uh, the work that we do by just shopping through TSPAS. I do not have a new item of the day. I have yesterday's for you again. It's the Moroccanive Companion Heavy-Duty Fixed Blade Knife. Mora is the, is the company that we – it's Moroccanive, but we call it Mora. Mora makes amazing knives. This is a $25 knife that could easily sell for $50, and I don't think anybody would say that it's not worth it, and it's on sale for $14. The reason I brought it back around today is because it's still on sale, and I don't know how long it's going to stay on sale. 
there is like this is like the heavy duty version of a lighter version of the same knife that that the light version normally sells for like fifteen dollars. Right now, the heavy duty better version is on sale for less than the cheapo. This is a knife that you can buy it like a cheap knife. You can use it the way you use cheap knives, but you can have a quality piece of steel. I mean, this is the knife that you buy, and you keep one in the glove box of your truck, one in the glove box of your boat, one in your one in your uh, junk drawer, you know, uh, one in your toolbox, one in your your hunting supply box, etc. And you always have a good, sharp, quality piece of steel around. Get us a carbon steel knife. Really look at doing a patina on it. Uh, you can do that with vinegar. That's something I always do with carbon steel knives. I'd rather have a knife that doesn't rust than a knife that's shiny. And the one complaint you'll see about carbon steel knives on Amazon, not just Memora, but just about everybody is, it rusted. Well, all I did was get it soaking wet and leave it that way, and it rusts because it's carbon steel, dummy. Uh, but if you put a patina on a carbon steel knife, which is so easy to do, you can look up on YouTube how to do it, and hit with some like some frog lube or something after that, you got a knife that's not going to rust on you. And you've got really high-quality steel. Again, I feel like when you buy one of these knives for $14, you're going to feel like you stole something. It's that good a deal. So I'm rerunning it today. Check it out. I don't know if it's on sale all week or what. Mora seems to go in and out of these sales a couple times of the year. Sometimes I put the whole line on sale. But bang for the buck. At $14, the Mora Companion Heavy Duty Fixed Blade is stupid cheap. And I don't even like the word cheap. I actually consider the word cheap to be far more of a profane word than the, than the word shit. I really do, generally speaking. Because cheap is usually a poor mindset. One of my laws of life, always be frugal, never be cheap. But this is a quality product for a cheap price. It doesn't come every day. You know, I usually say you can have really good or you can have cheap. But you can't have both. Well, this is uh, an exception to the rule. Get one of these things. Get two. Get three. You can't go wrong with this knife at 14 bucks. Check it out today, and you can always find the current item of the day and everything that I've ever reviewed at tspaz.com. And remember, if it's there, I own it, I spend my money on it, I would spend my money on it again, or I would not ask you to do so. That's the way we do things here at TSP. That brings us to our song of the day, and again, we're under, uh, or I should say, we are doing the Music Business Week. These are all songs by bands who wrote songs about the industry itself. Today is from the Rolling Stones, one of the most successful and most well-known bands in history. I mean, I, when I hear the Stones, I think, like, you're talking about a band that's as well-known as, like, and as, as iconic in history as, like, the Beatles, right? I mean, just huge. Um, you know, a band that, you know, 25 years after their last number one hit was still selling out stadiums. And everybody's going, when is Keith Richards going to die? How is this guy still alive? You know, that kind of longevity. Um, they wrote a, this song and, and performed it all the way back in, in 65. It was called, it's like, the, like, it's as bad as my tagline for clunkiness. The Under Assistant West Coat Promotion Man. And it's about people in the music industry that think they're more important than they are. It was actually inspired by a guy that was kind of a chaperone for the Stones on their West Coast tour in 64, I think. And they really didn't like the guy, and they kind of resented him. They ended up actually liking the guy over time. But what I thought of when I saw this is, boy, that's not a music industry thing. Almost everywhere you go, in almost every industry, 
There are people whose main function in life is to hold a wall up or a desk down. They're really not important. They seem to be some of the most self-important asses in an industry. Do you know what that means to you? The square root of F all. Because like I said, the opportunities today are better than they've ever been before. So whoever the under-assistant West Coast promotion man is to you, don't worry about it. Go out and worry about building your future. Because who did better in the long run? Mick Jagger and Keith Richards or the under-assistant West Coast promotion man? And also realize you don't know a person until you walk a mile in their shoes. They dislike this guy so much, he inspired this sarcastic song. And yet, they ended up finding out he was a pretty decent guy as well. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Show.